0: Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR 161 BC 101, Tribal Work Ethic, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 211, February the 5th, 1990. This evening, Otto Scott and I are going to discuss the matter of work with Tim Vaughan. A while back, we were discussing certain aspects of life in Papua with Tim Vaughan, and we just barely touched on the subject of work, and perhaps this interests me more than uh, some of the other very excellent areas we explored. When I was among the Indians, the thing I learned was that the great problem of the transition from the old ways of the Indians to the ways of white Americans was work. Some of the great chiefs of the last century, when they made peace with a white man, recognized that... The direction they had to take was a very different one. In the old culture, the function of men was hunting, fishing, and especially warring. And that was identified with a man's life and a man's work. Some of the tribes, especially in some of the eastern areas, were agricultural but the agricultural work was the work of the woman. And even these Western chiefs who told their people, there is no future for us in our way of life. Our way of life is a difficult and a barren one. Food is a problem. We have experienced all kinds of Uh, difficulties, and now we have an opportunity to live a different way of life, and we've got to change our lifestyle for that of the white man. And they themselves called on the tribe's men to adopt in some areas, for example, agriculture. And even these chiefs, however, if some stranger came up or another Indian and saw them with a shovel in their hand, would become embarrassed and put it behind a tree or behind their back because their immediate reaction was one of shame and embarrassment to be seen doing what for them was a woman's work. The only successful transition was to cattle work in those areas where cattle uh, could be kept, because there they were riding on horses. And that, to them, was the epitome of a uh, good way to live. So cattle work they took to very successfully. Now this problem of work, to say just a little more on this subject before we begin, has been a problem in most the world. It is a problem in Europe, going back to the days of the European tribes. Work has always been seen as the property of underlings. Some years ago, in the 50s, two men, uh, brothers-in-law, were in Europe, and the one was a minor executive of a corporation. The other was a very successful farmer. In fact, the farmer was really better off than his brother-in-law. And yet everywhere they went, people who came to know what they were back here immediately treated the farmer with disrespect, and the minor executive with great respect. Mm. He was a dignitary because he was associated with a great corporation and he worked behind a desk, not with his hands. In European culture, that vein of thinking is still very, very strong. The Puritans altered that and in this country, it became... uh, a matter of contempt if you were retired or did not work or lived off your wealth. And there was a great deal of respect for a long time until fairly recent years for the working man. It used to be presidents like to say when they ran for office the kind of manual work they had done as they had worked their way up. Less and less of that is heard these days from uh, candidates. They're the friends of the people. They're not workers uh, per se. As a result, we are shifting to this same kind of disrespect for work. But our Puritan background has made us different from all cultures. Now, on the mission field, this is one of the great problems. It's easy sometimes, other times very difficult to convert native peoples. But to teach them to work is another problem. With that introduction, Tim, do you want to make a general statement about uh, the situation in Papua? And then, Otto, perhaps you can comment on that and add a general statement of your own.
2: Yes. What you said about an Indian hiding a shovel behind his back in shame brings back some embarrassing memories for myself. I am an avid gardener and love every form of agriculture. Otherwise I wouldn't have spent all my life doing it in five years in college. And when I got to Papua New Guinea, it wasn't any different. And one of the first things I did was to grab a spade from somebody and go into a rather large beautiful tropical garden to start working in it and immediately all the women of the village lined up and started laughing at me and I was so embarrassed I never did it again the whole time I was there so yes it's true and it's still true in New Guinea as it was among the American Indian and among just about every other group of third world people I know of that yes it was the woman's was the woman's work and getting them to convert to the western uh, the christian idea of a man providing for his family was very very difficult
0: but not impossible
2: but not impossible it didn't uh, happen as quickly as we would have a lot of my friends back home seemed to seem to have expected it may take it may take two three generations at times you don't expect somebody to change right away Two or three generations. Two or three generations. <coughs> That's 60 to 90 years. Right. Well, the tribe I was at, the man had been there 20, 25 years, I think, and it, there had been Christians there for probably 15, and there was a difference between that tribe that was Christianized, and I don't mean everybody in it was a Christian, I just mean that they had a tremendous amount of exposure to the gospel plus a lot of active, active churches, There was not a whole lot of difference between them and some of the other tribes. There were some, but not a whole lot.
0: Well, there are some historians who believe that agriculture was developed by women because they were left with the children and men were out hunting or fighting. And it was the women who experimented and who created agriculture. And I have a feeling that that's probably accurate, especially when you say that it's considered women's work in various primitive societies. But I think in our own society today, the idea of work has not exactly been abandoned. It's gone through a transmutation. Uh, Mr. Snap, who wrote a review of The Buried Treasure, that book on the coal company I just finished, was very much struck in his review by the hard work that the managers did. Mm -hmm. I know when I was uh, a corporate executive that in a fairly small town, we worked uh, six days a week as a matter of course, and we had policy meetings on Sunday. And I was in New York, and somebody said, Well, what do you do? I said, We work. I said, We even have meetings on Sunday. He said, Don't tell me you enjoy that. I said, Well, in comparison to sitting home, watching nothing, yes, it's a lot better than sitting around. And that aspect of work doesn't seem to be commented upon much. That it's a satisfaction.
1: Well... It is a satisfaction if there's the proper religious (laughs) motivation. But if uh, there is no faith, then everything is meaningless except enjoying. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Years ago, I recall talking with a man who had lived most of his life in Africa. He was a European. And he said one of the reasons for the lack of progress in Africa was the attitude towards work. He felt that uh, people in the United States did not have a proper view of Africans because, he said, the various tribes would... uh, send over the people that were regarded as uh, no account, they would be sold by the chiefs to the slave traders. But he said, when you meet with the Africans in Africa, you find a high caliber as far as intelligence and abilities. But the attitude towards work is what holds them back. And he said, uh, the reason for Uh, polygamy there is that it frees the man from work. He will work long enough and that's why so many go to South Africa to get jobs in order to be able to uh, get uh, two or three wives and then they stop working because the wives do it all. Mm. And he said it's this attitude that holds back Africa. Africa. And uh, leads the men to a life of beer drinking and shiplessness, so that Africa is getting nowhere.
0: I thought it was mainly the lack of innovation. I was, I recall, on a banana boat one time in Central America. It had floodlights on. We were unloading the bananas, 24-hour basis. And these little brown men with no shirt, each had a complete stem of bananas Mm -hmm. on his shoulder and would run at a little trot Mm -hmm. past a man in a machete who would cut the stem off with one stroke as two lines of men went. And they put the stem down on a carrier, on a conveyor. And the conveyor would go up and down into the hold of the vessel. And men inside the hatch uh, would stacked them up. And they were all, had perspiration running down their bodies. They glistened (coughs) under the lights. And it was the United Fruit Company's ship. And I was standing at the rail watching with one of the officers. And the United Fruit Company in those days was very proud of its fleet. The officers wore white uniforms, and they were all very sharp. And I said to this fellow why do you think this country has never really developed? Why hasn't it advanced? And looking at the working that then, he said they don't work. Hmm. They didn't but know how to work, There was, was a, what he meant. There was a
1: Canadian uh, scientist who wrote a monograph uh, about 20 years ago on African inventiveness. And I recall one thing he cited. He said long before any such thing was discovered in the West, the uh, Africans had developed a system whereby a sedan chair to carry the king from place to place was so built that they could go up and down a street in a straight slope going up at quite an angle, up and down rocks, and always keep the sedan chair on an even keel so that he never was tilted up or down. It was a kind of suspension system that uh, automobile manufacturers have only invented in our lifetime. And he said that type of thing was invented in Africa only for kings and chiefs, for nobody else. It was never the property of the people. And he said the inventiveness of Africa applied only to that which benefited people at the top. And he said this is one of the things that has held back a people with a great deal of potential. Of course, we've already said uh, work is another thing, the contempt for work.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I wonder sometimes if it isn't foresight, if if lack of foresight isn't one of the main things, perhaps the main thing. Uh, You would often talk to a person over there, and uh, I've noticed that it was the same way with some of my laborers from different states in Mexico when I was contracting along the coast. And you'd say to them, well, why don't you buy, for instance, a a case of, of sardines in New Guinea or a case of coke in the United States to save some money maybe you can save two three dollars on a case rather than buying them individually one a piece every day and they would always say to me well that does that's not very much money it'll never add up to anything they didn't have any understanding that it did, does add up to things and they wouldn't apply it to the rest of their life and i, I noticed that uh, some of the chinese when i was in New guinea and some of the japanese that i was around along the coast would do that they would buy by the case for instance and of course that applied to the rest of their life as well and within a few years of getting out of prisoner war camps and uh, the end of world war ii the japanese were tremendous, tremendously successful and the mexicans had not progressed at all uh perhaps it's just a lack of understanding of the basic premise of capitalism i'm not sure
0: That's what the sociologists call the present-oriented and the Mm future-oriented. The future-oriented will sacrifice in the present for a future goal. And it's generally speaking true of working-class people around the world, is that if they have a good week, they drink it up. Mm -hmm. And that's not particularly confined to Mexicans or anyone else. Mexico is a very hard-working country. In fact, Latin America in general is filled with people who work very hard, but they work inside a very poor system, which is what you were referring to in Africa, Rush.
1: And a present orientation, as you cited earlier. Yes. Not a future orientation. Right.
0: As well, when you're very poor, uh, it's like Russell the Young's father. His father was a janitor. And Russell's first job was carrying water to the bricklayers. And then he got up to being a hod carrier, which is a, a pretty heavy job. It made him muscular. His father used to shake him down for most of his salary. I said, how do you feel about that? Because the old man used to drink beer with it, Well, he said he had a pretty sad life, you know. He said, I really didn't uh, didn't, didn't hold it against him.
1: One of the interesting aspects, uh, I'm glad you brought up this matter of present and future orientation. Uh, When I was on the Indian Reservation, we had one Indian judge who accomplished more than any other judge. Her name was Mary Smith. Um, A woman judge? Yes, a woman judge. Her... uh, husband had been the judge for years and became stone-deaf. He was a very superior man, judicious. But Mary was an even better judge, because she applied uh, the premise of uh, child training to all the criminals. And Mary had been a church member But she had dropped out with a great deal of bitterness, really. She had six or seven children, as I recall it, and all but one died of TB. And she became a recluse after that. But as judge, uh, and she had learned something that none of the Indians had, uh, except in the rare cases of Christians, disciplining a child because the Indians never discipline their children. It was totally alien to them. And Mary believed in that. And her premise was, if a child misbehaves, clobber him immediately because the longer you put it off, the less the connection between what they've done wrong and the punishment. Mm -hmm. And she applies that in the court. So if somebody were brought in, she didn't uh, wait until a week later to try them. Uh, She would spend all day, if there were a great many of them, and have them brought out one by one from the jail and read them the riot act and hit them hard with her sentence. And it had a very
0: salutary effect. Well, would
1: have, yes. Yeah. Uh, did you find that in Papua,
2: for example? Well, I found the same problem, but I didn't find the same solution. <laughs> yeah, they they don't. As we talked before, they they never spank their kids, and of course, that has a lot to do with the lack of discipline, which maybe is the underlying cause of uh, the lack of work ethic, rather than uh, rather than uh, delayed gratification the, the, or the lack of one time. Uh, a little kid was getting very obnoxious at a at a Bible study that the old missionary was putting on and he grabbed the kid and turned him over his knee and spanked him and everybody gasped before. But that child from then on was the best behaved child of the kid on a try. That one act of discipline really mended him. It yeah. depends upon the kid. That's true too. Some take more than others like mine.
0: <laughs> I uh, it didn't work for me. <laughs> and it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, I never found it necessary, the one thing.
2: Uh, well, the scriptures are clear that if you, if you do spare the rod, you hate your child. and uh, So, th- you know, when you apply that on a, on a, a cultural basis, it's, you're going reap to the, reap the rewards it, of it. And it depends
1: on how you bank
0: uh, a child. I think it depends on the culture. Uh, I can uh, intimidate without necessarily hitting. I never had any problem on that score.
1: Well, a lot depends on the parent's attitude as they uh, chastise the child. They can do it in the wrong way. But uh, one of the things that was very difficult for some missionaries on uh, Indian reservations was this matter of child training, because if they were seen publicly spanking their child, they could be permanently damaged in the eyes of the Indians. You never frustrated a child. As a result, the children uh, grew up without any uh, inhibition, so to speak, without any inner discipline. And frustration then uh, created major problems. This is why by the time they were in the fourth or fifth grade, they were alcoholics. Because life is full of frustrations. We're
0: getting that now. and we're not
1: Indian. But because we are also seeing the disappearance of any kind of chastisement of children. Right. It doesn't give them the discipline that leads to good work habits and to uh, recognizing that this world is going to frustrate you. You can't live without having various frustrations. And the child that has never been frustrated is uh, going to run into major problems.
0: Well, we run into this. There's a difference in culture. The Jewish culture is very soft regarding their children, uh, especially the boys. Uh, Jewish mothers are famous for doting on their sons. And the Irish culture is not that that way. An Irish mother would eat up three Jewish mothers before breakfast. <laughs> uh, they don't uh, they don't coddle you at all. On the other hand, physical chastisements are not particularly wise, I think, for very young children.
1: Well, I would say that's debatable. Yeah. Uh, I can't depends
0: yeah. It depends on the child. It depends on the child. And, says. of course, it depends on the atmosphere and yeah.
2: the world. But still, there's, there's at least four verses in Proverbs alone that say that talk specifically about spanking, about using a rod or, or something to give physical, to give corporal punishment to a child. And uh, there are all kinds of warnings uh, uh, about the neglect thereof. And you can't just, I, in my opinion, you can't just say, well, one culture would excuse you from uh, from having that law apply to you or to, for having that principle apply to you.
0: I think I say but,
2: there are cultures
0: are different. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything about being forgiven. I simply said cultures
2: are different. Uh, I, I heard you I heard you saying that in, in some cases it may not be necessary. for, for Well, that's true. Corporal. It
0: isn't. corporal punishment is not always necessary. I couldn't discipline a man, for that matter, without hitting him. Hmm. Uh,
1: I think one of the interesting things I heard some years back was on a Jewish radio station program in Los Angeles and it was discussion of what's happening to their children. Uh, once, when they had very strict standards and chastisement, they had rarely any problems. And they said, now our children are no different than any others. So there is a breakdown there, and a number of uh, groups that have migrated to this country with very, very strong standards and close-knit families have tended to break down here.
0: That's true, mainly because the role of the men in the immigrant families, not in all cultures. Mm. Again, we have to make a distinction. When the Irish families came over here, the men were mostly illiterate, Mm. mostly laborers. It was their wives who were able to go out and earn a living, the men lost authority inside the family, lost authority with yes. their wives and with their children, and the Irish families were famous for several generations for absolute terrible behavior, mm. total lack of discipline. On the mm. other hand, the Jewish families came over here and remained quite tight. And as the long men as they they were, were orthodox As long as they were Orthodox. Well, there were there was a Hasidic mm. and there were others. Generally speaking, they were able to stay on their feet rather rather well, yes. and, and fairly soon the men reestablished themselves as their breadwinners and so forth. The black family, on the other hand, the black male, did not really exercise the same sort of authority in recent generations that they did earlier. I think up until the New Deal, the black male was unquestionably in charge of his family. Yes. But with the introduction of the dole, or the government, he lost authority. So then it didn't matter how many blows were exchanged. The basic structure was weak.
1: hmm Yes. Well, I think the problem on the mission field is now becoming a worldwide problem because we are, under the influence of Rousseau, self-consciously adopting a primitive standard of uh, child-rearing and are hostile to a disciplined uh, social order and society. And under the influence of Rousseau, we are seeing with each passing decade a dramatic decline uh, in the discipline of children, in their ability to function, and their ability to learn. One of the things I learned when I was young and living on a farm was that uh, life has a lot of frustrations. You plant something and... uh, The weather is contrary, and you plant again and again. In more recent years, they have planted a great deal of cotton in the area where I grew up, and sometimes they have had to plant five and six times because bad weather destroys their planting. In the area of uh, vegetables, Uh, a good many farmers may do well to get a marketable harvest at a reasonable price one year out of three because there are some things that are very weather sensitive and the uh, wholesalers will not buy anything except quality stuff and it could be that in one year in the San Joaquin Valley the weather is perverse Mm -hmm. whereas in the Coachella Valley it will be ideal so that uh, farming historically has a close association with the development of civilization and of high cultures, because farming is uh, a frustrating work. Mm-hmm. You plant an orchard, as I can vividly remember, and you may plant 500 trees and uh, gophers, or rabbits, if there are a lot of jackrabbits in the area, can destroy 50 or 100 of them in the first year. They are continually replanting for one reason or another. It develops patience. It uh, teaches you to live with frustration and not allow it to deflect you from your purposes. And this is precisely what, on the mission field, among these tribes... Uh, is lacking, and of course, in our urban culture today, is lacking in the
2: life of the child. Frustration. Yeah. And the reserves, the, the the reserves that farming gives free up time to do other things. Uh, in New Guinea, the women didn't have anything else to do except farm. They had to keep farming, farming. Their pa- husbands wouldn't help, and all they could do was farm. Uh, they had no free time, none at all. The men had too much free time. If they would have got together and done a lot of work, then they could have freed the whole family up to move on to other things.
1: How much food would they store? Well, that's
2: a problem in such cultures. Yeah, they didn't store any food. They didn't store any food. And there, I mentioned in one of the articles that there is a 30, 37% mortality rate for kids under five in a tropical paradise with papayas that were two and a half feet long sitting on trees and two and a half feet huge papayas just
0: yeah they run as big as watermelons
2: yeah they get big and then uh and why was there the mortality lack of oh yeah starvation starvation yeah they didn't actually uh wither away and, and die of of starvation like you would lock a person in a room for two weeks without food it was just chronic malnutrition they they could have stored it, they could have dried it, they could have, uh, they had beautiful grasslands when they cut down the rainforest, that they could have, uh, raised meat that kept sheep or goat or cow or anything like that. They just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't, they didn't work hard enough to have reserves.
0: Well, you could say the same thing about all sorts of areas of the world, not just Papua. Yes. I mean the interior of Latin America South America has never been explored the white man has never come out alive but it has untold treasure mm-hmm. the heart of black Africa is probably the most mineral rich area in the, in the globe mm-hmm. but you have to have the knowledge to be able to extract those resources and to process them into useful products uh, either agriculturally or industrially So it really comes down to the management of resources, and it comes down to the quality of leadership. Western Europe did not begin with cities,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and nobody sent large commissions and translators and experts from around the world in to tell the Europeans how to do it. Uh, They had to do it, and they did it. And, of course, every one of these areas... Fundamentally, will have to do it on their own, because, as you know from your own life, very few of us accept the other man's experience for ourselves.
1: Right. That's that's an excellent Thanks. point. Your point about Europe is uh, important. I was reading uh, a study not too long ago, and I think we ought to discuss it sometime on the five basic seeds. Uh, that have made civilization. Mm, Yes. I think I'll pass that book around. It's so important we ought to discuss it. Mm. But cities did not develop in Europe until, under the influence of the uh, monks and uh, the better pastors, they learned how to produce better. And then it was possible to have surplus food to sell to people in an urban Context and then Europe blossomed. Right. One of the things I remember vividly from my very early school days, and I don't think anyone except you, Otto, and Dorothy over there would recall this uh, stories. And one of them, I believe, which was typical of them, was the story. Was it the ant and the grasshopper? Oh yes. Yes. How the ant worked all the time and the grasshopper mocked the ant while the grasshopper played and sang and stored no food. And then the cold weather came and the grasshopper died and the ant lived snugly and warmly. Our readers in the early grades were full of stories like That's that.
0: That's true. of so, fables were yeah. taught to all of us.
1: Yes. And... Uh, we grew up in a context where we assumed that you had a future orientation.
0: Everything in the school book taught us that. That's true. And there was also one other point which occurred to me uh, on the business of Europe. The Europeans did not start from the ground one. Mm-hmm. They had an inheritance from former civilizations in terms of engineering, in terms of agriculture, and in terms... of of writing Mm -hmm. in terms of history. They could refer to what preceding generations had done and they could improve upon them. Mm -hmm. Now, an unliterate civilization in which everything is limited to the individual memory and where the ruling class dies early, as in Papua, Mm -hmm. you don't have any old people. You don't have anybody to tell you what it was like did they have teachers what did they do the they, they weren't just
2: no uh, I, I agree with, with what you're getting at no they didn't even have the the bards that some of the pre-literate European groups had uh, they had witch doctors they had uh, old stories that old ladies knew uh, and would pass on around the campfire at night and things like that but they were uh, of a they were of an inferior quality to some of the old fables that, uh, that come down to us from other civilizations. So no, they were even a step below some of the pre-literate Europeans, I think, in that area.
0: Had you any experience with any intermediate group, I mean, besides uh, our own and Mexico and those primitives?
2: My personal experience? Yes. Yeah. Well, I've been to Europe and before that. and. Uh, well, that's yeah. not an intermediate. I mean, that's not intermediate. No, it isn't. It, what is an intermediate? I guess the, the second world is communist, right?
0: Well, I guess Mexico would be intermediate. Yeah,
2: I I used to do go down uh, with uh, a mission group to Mexico. In fact, that's where I learned my Spanish. I used to spend a lot of time at a at an orphanage down there, La Puerta de la Fe, the Door of Faith, down there. Uh, so the answer is yes. What?
1: We have a complicating factor now. The modern uh, groups in the third world, as it's called, have even more an example than the people of Europe. But what is complicating, it is a gospel of envy and hatred against our civilization. Oh, yes so that instead of emulating us, they feel that we have somehow robbed them, that we have what we do by fraud, and so on. And we are routinely told by some people in our country how much of the world's goods we consume as against the rest. Not without any reference to how many we produce. yes. Yes. So, today... The people from our culture are teaching hatred of us to these third world peoples yes. and
0: pro- thereby preventing their growth. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Mexico is mainly Indian. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. They're 90, over 90% Indian. A very, very small group of Europeans and most of the Europeans that live in Mexico for any length of time are intermingled with the Indians. Yeah. And the Indians in Mexico, as you remember from Phil Powell's book, ran all the way from the naked savages. Chichimecas. Uh, the Chichimecas mm-hmm. uh, to the Aztecs and the Mayans. Yes. And uh, they were literate and the others of course were way down the scale. Literacy seems to be a very important key in this. Even if our intellectuals are teaching hatred of, our, of their own culture to these other people. The great treasury of knowledge that we have amassed in the form of literature is going to, in the long run, prevail.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's uh, go backward in Papuan history, not too far back, but before World War I and the German days. Right. Now, were the Germans still remembered, and how effective were the Germans, and how did they rule? Because the Germans they had were one, highly
2: disciplined. Right. They had one half of the country, and they, the, the uh, Germans were very much respected for their methods, their military methods, their punitive methods, because they were understood by the people. The Germans did it their way. One incident I remember uh, vividly from my studies about the island before I went over there <clears throat> involved a case of some natives that had murdered a, a white man. Some, they ate him, and so the Germans put a bunch of trinkets on the shore. This tribe, fortunately for them, happened to be on uh, on the edge of the on the edge of the ocean there, and they put some trinkets on the shore and waited for the people to come up and pick them up, and then opened fire with grape shot, and killed the whole group of people that were standing on shore, and then went ashore and butchered the whole tribe. And the the people from New Guinea loved that. They loved it. They could understand it it completely. And I'll tell you one story about how one huge area of New Guinea was pacified by one German man and some native policemen. Uh, For instance, if there was a murderer, not necessarily a black man that had murdered a white man, but a a black man that had murdered another black man, Uh, the German would go in there and say, give this man up to me for justice. And the people would say, of course not. A tribal person would never do that if he had his way. And so the German would go and burn down every hut and uproot every garden in the whole area and then retreat and wait for the people to build new huts new fences and new gardens and as soon as they had done that he would come in again and burn down every hut and rip up every garden tear down every fence and destroy everything again and pretty soon whatever that man wanted was his they'd come down out of the hill holding the murderer by the hand and then by himself with just a few examples of authority ended up in imposing law and order on the whole area
0: <laughs> did they did they
2: emulate it did they emulate it uh no, they did not emulate it. They were, I think it's a situation that they expected, and I've seen this in other tribal people, that they expect somebody to have authority over them, and the Germans were better, they were more fair than their own chiefs, and so they didn't emulate it, they just accepted them as the new form of authority.
0: What was the other half of the island? Well, uh, Australia. Australia. Australia, yeah. And what were their methods?
2: uh they're tough people as as you know they're they're very tough people they weren't quite as harsh as the Germans but uh they were they were tough I've heard some in fact one of the missionaries (laughs) used to be a gold miner before he was converted and his whole side of his hands and both fists are all covered with scars because uh they would have to enforce a certain amount of discipline on their labor gangs and they did it they did it the only way the people could understand and uh it involved a lot of beating up (laughs) I uh, recall a man,
1: a friend of my father's, who worked for the French government in French Equatorial Africa and uh, he could foresee a war coming and he thought there could be upheavals in Africa that's all he would say and he said uh, No one is uh, kinder to the Africans than the English. They send them to Oxford, they do everything to help them, and they are despised behind their backs because it is seen as weakness. Exactly, yeah. Uh, The French have a little more respect, but the Portuguese are the ones who are hated and feared but respected. So, this, he said, was one of the problems of uh, Christianization, because the native sees authority as brute force, and he does not respect anything else. Uh, He said uh, that the British would only gain contempt for everything that they did to advance the natives, and he He talked at great length at how much they had done for the Africans, how many had an advanced education and were used in the
0: administration. Well, both the Spaniards and the English created the largest empires in history after the Romans. And in fact, they exceeded the Romans. Both of them did. Mm -hmm. Now, the Spaniards created universities Mm -hmm. They married the Indian women. Mm -hmm. They put up churches and cathedrals. They had a cathedral in South America a hundred years before the pilgrims arrived. Uh, And the English, uh, of course, didn't put up universities in native areas. They sent their leaders to English universities. But the general idea was to teach. Mm -hmm. And... It, I often wondered why none of the sociologists or historians or for that matter even ordinary writers in the United States have ever undertaken a study of the various European efforts at colonization to compare the French and the English and the German and the Dutch and the Portuguese and the Italian and the English with what happened after independence and why The people who are so intent upon assisting the black people in South Africa have no thoughts in this area, or no thoughts, for that matter, on dealing with black people in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've been left more or less to... The the assumption here is that everybody is the same, that there is is no difference in any culture. There's no difference in ethnic groups. It's... it's, uh, it's considered almost a sin to recognize cultural differences, and yet they are very deep.
1: And we hear so many horror stories uh, about British and Spanish colonialism, and yet uh, no one worked harder than those two
2: peoples
1: to advance the peoples
2: they worked right.
1: with.
0: And there are different ways. Right.
2: Yes. But it's still so ironic, if you look at the First World War, Letov-Folbeck in uh, German West Africa and a handful of native troops, Iskaris, were the best fighting troops in that whole war well, in the, yes, the area. Well,
0: because the German leader, the warrior, used
2: the black warrior was exactly right. And as they, was. They, to use them as warriors uh, was very effective. was very effective. And they respected the Germans and no troops were more faithful to any government mm-hmm. than those... West Africans under the Germans. Well, it's possible
0: that if Germany had won World War I, let us say, by 1915, which was their uh, hope, and had obtained colonial land, which was their goal, that they might have ac- exceeded uh, their predecessors. Mm-hmm. The world might have been better off. Mm-hmm. Certainly, they did a lot, a lot to educate all of Central Europe once they got civilized themselves. Yeah.
2: Mm. And compare Namibia today to uh, uh, the Congo, the Belgian Congo, or some of the French former French possessions. Compare Namibia today to them, or compare Namibia to the former Portuguese possessions, and, and that's a that's a pretty bad comparison. The Namibian blocks are far superior. Well, the Good Portuguese intermarried, intermarried.
0: Uh, which, of course, is neither here nor there. It's interesting, though, yeah. that they retreated, although they intermarried, they retreated as just as much oppressors as those who did not. Mm-hmm. And before they left Portuguese East Africa, they ripped out every telephone, they burned every car that they couldn't ship, they destroyed every typewriter, Mm-hmm. They said, we will leave, but we will not leave the fruits of our labor behind us. And they left a ruin. Yes, That was very short-sighted. Mm-hmm.
2: That happened in the Belgian Congo, also.
1: I think the problem, again, gets back to the evil influence of Rousseau, which has uh, made people see the third world countries as somehow innocent and superior to ourselves. And as a result of that, we have had no common sense in dealing with them, either on the individual basis or in terms of foreign aid.
0: Well, it's even worse. We have uh, instilled a guilt complex into people who were not alive during the colonial period who... Uh, knew nothing about it, and so forth. And it's, it's really pretty ridiculous. There's a recent article I read about the Berkeley campus, which I will bring to you. I know you'll be interested. The uh, Caucasian pupils now are down to a third, and the minority pupils represent the other two-thirds. And the minorities are all organized on the basis of color. Mm -hmm. But the Caucasian pupils are forbidden to organize under penalty of expulsion.
1: And they are reduced in their numbers by a quota system. Yes. And this is the top university in the world, according to
2: the uh, so-called rating experts.
0: Well, the experts in this case we can take with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm.
2: And the different groups that are favored in third world countries, too, are... are so arbitrarily chosen. At least on, on the outside, you look at the ANC, for instance. We were we've been talking about recently. That's their one tribe. The ANC is composed of the, the Kosa, Kosa, the yeah. Kosa. But you know, there's two million more Zulu. Yes. Than there are Kosa. Yes. But and how often do you hear a person from interviewed? But they interviewed the Zulus have an unfashionable position. It's called capitalism and Christianity, and that's what's unfashionable about it. Exactly. So the person, the majority of, the biggest tribe in all of South Africa is the Zulu. They're nominally Christian at least, and they're pro-capitalism, at least free market, uh, uh, modified free market, uh, and the, the Kosar are totally socialistic, atheistic in their leadership. And yet for every one time you hear a, uh, Zulu interviewed, you hear a hundred Kosas interviewed.
0: I've never heard a Zulu interviewed. <laughs>
2: The, the, the Bultezi they do once, well, in a while. Yeah. once in a while, right?
0: Who is the? Uh, he has a position that Mandela has in the Kausa tribe. Uh, there's a king of the Zulus, you know,
2: but he's the big prince. But he's, he's the. the, the uh, I guess Our you'd minister,
0: call it his right. prime minister, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, the question of work is an important one because, uh, according to sociologists. Here in this country, we have shifted from a work-oriented to a play-oriented culture. Mm. However, the good news is that uh, while this shift has taken place since World War II and is increasing dramatically among the public school population, We are producing, through the Christian schools, a work-oriented population. And increasingly, uh, the uh, people who are uh, uh, appearing to be the wave of the future, the younger executives, the innovators, are Christians. The Wall Street Journal had an article recently about the rise of uh, the Christian entrepreneur to positions of leadership.
0: Well, I will go along with that to a point, but I can't forget a reading recently where a junior partner in a large metropolitan law firm was let go because he had to go home to join his family on some very important occasion, and the senior partner said you could have slept on the floor, floor like the rest of us. So we have a strange dichotomy going on here. We have both husbands and wives working around the clock. We have people in this country that are working harder and harder and harder to keep up with inflation. Mm-hmm. And I think that this idea of a country dedicated to pleasure is planted by the communications media, yes. by such things as People magazine and whatnot, television, which keeps showing us uh, parasitic people enjoying themselves with a great deal of money, when the average American is working awfully hard to keep up with the landscape that's racing past him. Yes. Uh,
1: I think there's a great deal of truth in that, Otto, but uh, one reason why the people at the top are having to work harder is that it's more difficult to find someone to delegate things.
0: (laughs) Touche. Very good. That's quite true. That was true in the company I worked at. Everything was bucked upstairs. Mm -hmm. But it was a two-way error. In the first place, the middle management would not take responsibility Mm -hmm. because they were afraid of these post-mortem that might occur mm. if it didn't work and the second error was on the top which was afraid to delegate mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is that the old timers that I broke in under would delegate until they broke your back
1: mm-hmm. they
0: weren't at all afraid of you Yes, and that's how we developed mm-hmm. up the ladder
1: well our time is almost over do you have a last comment to make mm. <coughs>
2: Well, I would say that uh, the most significant thing that I see in this whole aspect of tribalism and the work ethic is that we're being reduced to that same level right now, and something drastic is going to have to change. And I think Chalcedon is at the the forefront of of at least providing intellectual leadership for that change, but it is necessary. Otherwise, we're going to be no different than Papua New Guinea in 300 years.
1: Thank you, and thank you all for listening. And God bless you.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules. Com.